this message is going to speak a little bit to where we are as a nation right now and also speak to the significance of something that happened on last Sunday. Um, I don't know about you, but when I was driving Saturday afternoon, Sunday afternoon, we were, I was part of an organization called The Man and Me, and we were doing a daddy-daughter hair care day. We were going to figure out how to do our daughter's hair, and my daughter has locks, so I needed this class. And um, I see it come across my feed that Kobe Bryant and Gianna Bryant have died on a helicopter crash um, in California. And my immediate thought was, man, life is short. 41 years old, he just finished his career three years ago after 20 years of playing the NBA, winning an NBA uh, MVP, winning five NBA finals, being the NBA final MVP twice, two Olympic gold. Uh, he's won an Emmy, he won an Oscar, and in moments his life was snuffed out. His daughter Gianna, he had been coaching. He kind of stopped playing basketball, stopped focusing on basketball, but when she fell in love with the game, he started coaching with her, and they were on this helicopter headed to a basketball game to watch uh, a game and to be involved. And so him and his daughter and then this other family who lost both the mother and the father and a daughter, um, the pilot and all those who were impacted, and I thought, man, life, life is short. And to be honest, um, no matter how long you live, Life is short. You can live to be 100 years old, and it's short in comparison to eternity. You can live to be 13, and it's short in comparison to a 25-year-old, but 40 is short compared to an 80-year-old. Um, I lost my mother-in-law at 56 to brain cancer three years ago. lost my father-in-law six months later to spinal cancer. Um, now my mom, my wife's husband, my wife's father, I'm her husband, my wife's father's <laughs> I have to get all these words together. My wife's father's wife, who is now my mother-in-law, got married September of 18. Uh, she's now living with stage four breast cancer and going through chemo and radiation. And at 50 years old, after finally meeting the man of her dreams, they met 20 years ago in Hong Kong. And he was a singer of a cover band and she was running a dance studio for girls. She came to hear a band play and met him and they stayed in touch over 20 years. And, Time and space cannot keep them apart, but now cancer is trying to separate them. And so no matter where you are in life, whether you are in the first quarter of your life or the second quarter of your life, the third quarter or the fourth quarter, life is short. And James gives us instructions to help us think about how do we deal with the shortness of life. Um, his book is not a book of stories, which many enjoy the Old Testament because they like stories. I'm not a story guy as much. I like the practical application, the self-help book. And James is kind of a self-help book, so to speak. In chapter one, James tells us to consider the purest forms of joy when we face trials of various kinds because when our faith is tested, it produces perseverance, which is the ability to remain under pressure without breaking. In James chapter two, he tells us, what good is it, brothers and sisters, if you claim to have faith, but you have no deeds? Can you uh, can your faith save you? Uh, faith without works is dead. And then in James chapter 3, he says, Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. And when we get to chapter 4, he gives us this reflection on the shortness of life. Um, and he starts to communicate instructions and insight on how to handle the shortness of life. And I'm hoping that these words can be a comfort to us who have lost loved ones. Uh, these words can be a comfort to us who are losing 
loved ones. Um, in verse 1 through 3, he first lets us know that life is too short to focus on stuff. Life is too short to focus on stuff. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and you fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask God, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. God is not going to be frustrated if you ask for resources to be generous. But if you're asking for money to be full of money, that's going to be a conflict of interest for him. So James is letting us know that life is too short to focus on accumulating earthly possessions. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus tells us not to store up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, or store, but rather store up treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. No matter how much stuff you have, the first thing you do when you buy stuff is figure out how to protect your stuff. <laughs> you buy a car, you make sure it has an alarm on it. You buy a house, you get an alarm system. When you get a new car, you park way far away in the parking lot because you don't want anybody to ding it. He says, worrying, don't worry about what you eat or what you will wear. Worrying does not add one minute to your life. He tells us to seek the kingdom first, God's domain, and then all these other things are going to be added unto us. Amen. They're going to be provided for us. We can't take anything with us. And yes, we need things, but we should not live for things because they are temporary and our lives as spirits are eternal. I bought a brand new car right out of college. I had been borrowing my parents' car that they had leased, and I wanted to have a car of my own. And so they partnered with me by co-signing on a 2000 Ford Taurus. And I was raising money for InterVarsity Christian Fellowship as a staff member, and I drove to Dallas to have some fundraising meetings and went to the post office to mail off some thank you notes for people who had contributed to the ministry and I came out of the post office, got in my car, and drove to Denton for a meeting. I get to the gas station to pump gas, and I move to the side of my car, which is the opposite side, to pump the gas, and notice there's a big old dent in the back of my brand-new car. I mean, I just drove it off the lot the day before. It wasn't even 24 hours old. I mean, the oil hadn't even gotten hot in the car yet. I mean, it still smelled like new car. I'm like, man, somebody dented my car and didn't even leave a note. Didn't put their insurance information down. Didn't care. They were living by the 11th commandment, thou shalt not get caught. Okay? <laughs> and I was like, man, how could you do this? And in a moment I said, it's just stuff. Brand new car. I felt good about myself. Felt accomplished. <laughs> I'm a college graduate with a job. Wasn't paying much, but I had a job, you know? But in a moment, it was, it was damaged. And I could either go pay to get it repaired, or I could drive with the dent in my car. And I made a conscious decision to drive with the dent in my car to remind myself that it's just stuff. I can always get another car. I can't get another me. I can always get another car. Secondly, life is too short to live without God. In verse 4 through 5, he says, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with God, friendship rather with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God? Or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? Throughout life, we're going to have to make an initial choice to follow God through Jesus, but then daily we have to make a choice to choose friendship with God over friendship with the world. 
In Matthew chapter 6, 22 through 24, Jesus tells us that we cannot serve two masters. We can either serve God or we can serve money because the struggle we often deal with in life is, am I going to do what God has called me to do or am I going to do what makes me secure? We can either depend on what we have or we can depend on who has us. God created us to be in a relationship with him and depend on him. And he knew that if money was our God, we would not depend on him. God doesn't have a problem with us having money. He has a problem when money has us. He's called us to be stewards of what he has provided. And when we live for him, he gives us wisdom and insight on how to use our money. Life is too short to live without God because in the end, eternity is about a lasting relationship with God. And since God made us, he knows what is needed for us to be fulfilled and joyful. The car that I currently have, a 2014 Hyundai Santa Fe Sport 2.0 T, I bought at CarMax uh, a couple of years ago, December of 2017. And I basically had a, at the time, Acura TSX that it had over 200,000 miles on it. I run a sex ed program and travel many miles a day to teach students about sexual risk avoidance education. And so I was just like, man, I got to get another car. Bluetooth wasn't working anymore. I had replaced the rack and pinning system. I replaced the uh, <clears throat> radiator twice. I replaced the engine. I replaced the, um, the ball bearings. I had replaced, I had done a line. I mean, I had just done everything you could do to this car. And so I drive a car to CarMax. I pull it in to trade it in. And they given me a $2,000 offer for the vehicle when Kelly Blue Book only offered me so I figured, hey, I got a good deal here. Found a vehicle that was this Hyundai Santa Fe. I knew a little bit about it because my wife had been looking at SUVs for a while, and this was one she was interested in. So I figured if I bought this one and she didn't like it, she would at least say I knew about this car, right? So there I am, and I buy the car. I do a test drive, and, and CarMax on 35 North, you literally just come out of the lot. You drive past Walmart. You go around where Golden Corral is. You pass Connolly High School, and you come back in. I mean, it's a very four to five minute test drive. So I drive the car, I look around it, I think, you know, it's a good car, I like it. Let's get it. So I buy the car, um, I'm driving home, and I realize, man, this car is a nice car. It, it, it's got a satellite radio system in it, and it's got, you know, dual temperature control, which is always important for us married people, because <laughs> we're hot and cold at different times. But I didn't pay much attention to it. I just drove the car home, you know, I got home, go in the house, and tell my wife, hey, babe, bought a car. <laughs> and so later on, I started looking at the manual, and I realized this car has seat coolers in the front seat, which in Texas is a beautiful gift. <laughs> it has seat heaters in the back seat, which in Texas is kind of a nice gift. I mean, when it gets cool, it had a panoramic sunroof, not just a regular sunroof, but a panoramic sunroof. It had the ability to literally, like, load your phone with your contacts in it. I could say, call dad, and it would call my dad. I was like, wow, there's so much this car can do that I didn't even know. It had lane assist and, 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 and all of these components to protect me. But what I realized is that I knew my car could get me from point A to point B, but until I read the manual, I didn't know what all it had available. The same thing is true with our relationship with God. We may know a little bit about what it looks like to live life, but we don't know the fullness of life that's available without God. He knows what we need to be fulfilled in life. Thirdly, life is too short to be proud. Verse 6 through 10, he says, he gives grace. He gives us rather more grace. That is why the scripture says God opposes the proud 
And that's scary. I mean, it's like God is like playing defense against the proud, like San Francisco 49er defense <laughs> against the proud. For those who watch football, you know what that means. Uh, but he shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves, he says, then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. So submit mean be under God. Resist the devil mean fight back and the devil will flee. Now, if you don't fight back, he's going to keep fighting you. But if you choose to resist, he'll flee. Verse 8 says, come near to God and he will come near to you. God's not playing hide and seek with us. If we look for him, if we seek him, he will come near. He says, wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. God is more concerned about our ability to ask him for what we need instead of acting like we have what we need. And for those of us who are parents, we understand how frustrating that is. When you have a child that you know needs help, but they won't ask for it. Okay, I got a five, almost six-year-old. There's some things she just can't do by herself, but she wants to be independent. She wants to, you know, be able to do it by her. I'm like, baby, let me help you. No, I got it, I got it. Wait, wait, let me help you. No, I got it, I got it. So then she ends up dropping, you know, water while she's trying to pour water in a glass. She's then not quite capable of doing. I got a one-year-old that is literally walking like last week started walking. And, and she's wanting to make her way around the coffee table and fall and bump her head. She's wanting to grab food and stick it in her mouth. Her hands aren't quite mobile enough. And it's like, just ask me for help. God is not asking us to deny who we are, but he doesn't want us to act as if we're something that we're not, which is we are not God. When we submit to God, we're being humble. When we resist the devil, we're being humble. When we come near to God, we're being humble. When we grieve and mourn and wail over our sin, we're being humble. When we humble ourselves, God will eventually exalt us. And when God exalts you, no one can pull you down. And when you exalt yourself, the fall is inevitable. Life is too short to be proud, so ask for help. Ask God. Ask family members. Ask friends. Ask Google, ask Alexa, but ask somebody for help. Fourthly, life is too short to judge. Verse 11 and 12 says, brothers and sisters, do not slander anyone or slander one another. Rather, anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver, and that's in capital letters, so we know it's God, and judge the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Often people feel compelled to judge others based on their standard of what others' lives should be like. But James lets us know that in our humility, we have no reason or justification to judge others. God is the ultimate judge, and he is the only one that can truly judge because he knows the motives and the intentions of the heart, and he alone is perfect, righteous, and holy. So anyone living today... In this world, in this span of time, does not have the right to judge anyone else because they don't know another person's heart and their standard is flawed. I can have a ruler, put it on this wall, and draw a direct line. But if my ruler is crooked, my standard is crooked. And oftentimes we make the standard us. But I don't drink as much as they do. I don't have sex outside of marriage as much as they do. I don't cuss as much as they do. I don't sin as much as they do. The standard is flawed. We cannot be the standard. God is the standard. And we can't be the Holy Spirit for somebody else. 
So we're sitting here, oftentimes we judge people, well, I can't believe this person would believe in abortion. We don't know what they went through. We don't know what their experience has been. Yes, we know that that's a bad decision to choose in a child's life prior to them getting a chance to live. But why do they think that way? How do they think that way? And how do we not judge but pray that they would be, seen, be able to see the light that will give them the freedom and understand the truth? So no matter how good you think you are, no matter how good we think we are, we're living life and we can't judge because our standard is flawed. And finally, life is too short to assume. And this is kind of where James culminates his conversation here. He says, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Life is too short to assume that we have a lot of it left. So we can't take our lives for granted or the time we have on this side for granted. We have to maximize every day and have uh, every day we have rather and live life to the fullest. Life is too short to assume we're going to go to heaven when we die. We have to make sure because Jesus made a way for us to be sure. In Hebrews 9, 27 and 28, he says, just as people are appointed to die once and after that to face the judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Friends, we all have an appointment that we cannot cancel or postpone. An appointment with death that will be followed by standing before God in judgment, where he will say, Either depart from me, I never knew you, or well done, good and faithful servant, come, enjoy your master's happiness. Jesus knew this appointment was coming, and he made a way for us to be able to handle the appointment with peace and with confidence. When you're prepared for an appointment, you're not scared. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He rose from the dead with all power in his hands. He ascended to the right hand of the Father, and he intercedes on our behalf. He is the mighty God. He is the wonderful counselor. He is the prince of peace, and he paid the penalty for our sin, so we don't have to, but we have to accept his gift in order to receive the benefits of it. It's like Jesus put his forgiveness on a gift card, and the gift card has been sent to every person available on earth. But you got to swipe the card. And my concern is that those of us who are believers often don't let our friends know about this amazing gift card that is available. We assume they know or they don't want it. I've never heard a person didn't want a gift card for free. I'll tell somebody, oh, man, over here at Walmart, they got, you know, candy right now, Valentine's Day, five boxes of chocolate for $20. I don't mind sharing about chocolates. Over here, CarMax is selling vehicles for a no-haggle price, 21 point inspection, 30-day warranty, seven-day money-back guarantee. I used to work there, so I know how to <laughs> But I don't mind telling people about that, but what about the gift of salvation? Everybody in our world needs to be given an opportunity to swipe the card. And here's the thing. If I tell you about it and you choose not to swipe the card, I'm not offended because my job was to tell you, not to make you. And so my heart and my hope is, as we are, I believe, in the last days, y'all, we are, stuff we're seeing happening today is a reminder of what we see in Matthew 24. We're, we're seeing the end of times coming. I can't tell you when it's going to happen, obviously, but I mean, we are in the last age. 
And I don't want to get to heaven and say, oh, I forgot to tell this guy about Jesus. Man, I forgot to invite this guy. Because when they die and go to hell, they're going to be like, man, you live next door to me and you didn't tell me. You went to work with me every day and you didn't tell me. Your kids went to daycare with my kids and you didn't tell me. Life is too short. When Kobe died on Sunday, he had went to church that morning, had communion with him and his daughter, the Catholic church that he attended on a consistent basis. He often sat in the back to not cause a distraction. His relationship with God was pretty private. He didn't publicize it, but it was important for him. Growing up in Italy, Catholicism was a normal part of their experience. And um, as soon as I heard he died, the first thing I asked was, dang, did he know Jesus? Because I know his palace here on earth is nothing compared to the room that would have been prepared for him in heaven. So when I started reading articles and finding out that him and Diana had come to faith, man, I was able to now grieve with hope. I was able to know that he's in a better place, not because of his goodness, but because of God's grace. So I want you to get in your mind somebody you know who does not know Jesus. It may be a family member. It may be a friend. It may be a neighbor. I want you to get their picture in your mind. And I want to ask you today and for the next seven days, to pray daily that God would orchestrate the circumstances of their lives to where they would understand their need for him. I want you to pray daily that God would soften their hearts to the message of the truth. I want you to pray daily that God would send multiple people into their lives to show him his unconditional love. I want you to pray that they would come to faith and know Jesus. Because knowing Jesus is the greatest gift available. It's the greatest gift available. So God, we pray for those who do not know you, who we have influence over. We know that the payment of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. We know that you sent your son Jesus to die for us while we were still sinners. We know, God, that if we confess that you are Lord Jesus and believe in our hearts that God raised you from the dead, we can be saved. That guarantee is a 100% guarantee that when we put our faith in Jesus, he pays the penalty for our sins. And so, God, we ask for our friends, for our family members, for our loved ones who do not know you, Father, that they would see the gift of salvation as a gift that can be received freely, that they don't have to get it all together. They don't have to have great church attendance at this point. They don't have to um, be able to dress a certain way or look a certain way or stop all their sins, God, that they can simply ask for forgiveness and receive the salvation of Jesus. And then they can submit to your leadership and that you will fill them with your spirit and allow them to live a full life here on earth. God, make us uncomfortable until we share our faith. Wake us up at night with people who need you and let us pray for them. When we wake up in the morning and we pray for all of the people that we love and care for, let us pray for those who are lost. Because your word says it is with loving kindness that you have drawn us. And so may we love well, may we lead well, may we model, may we model godly families and godly friendships and be godly examples on our jobs. So people say, man, there's something different about you. What is it? And we can share the gift of Jesus that has been made available to us. Thank you for this time in your word. Thank you for the opportunity to know you. And thank you for the opportunity to be ambassadors who can share the gift of Jesus with others. Because life is short. And when this life ends, we want to spend eternity with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.